I'm Leah Peterson, and you're listening to Leah Pia Interviews. Like the song? It's called Lazy Song by Olivia Rex at oliviarex.com. You can hear the entire song at the end of the interview. Today's podcast is with Derek Pawazik, evangelist for MadCloud.com, and all-around awesome person. Just by way of introduction of Derek, he is, well, his official title is the Chief of Awesome for HP's MadCloud. What do you do do as the Chief of Awesome? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So uh, I'm a consultant to HP, uh, and uh, MadCloud is a... It's a, um, a company uh, that came out of HP Labs that uh, is all about print-on-demand magazines. Um, and my role there is a hybrid role that has to do with um, kind of uh, setting the some parts of the product direction, but also doing some hands-on art direction and design. Um, so anything you see at magcloud.com, probably came from, uh, design-wise, came out of me or my designer, James Good in Australia, who's amazing, but you can't have him. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, when I got involved in the project over two years ago now, um, uh, HP had been percolating this, this idea of a print-on-demand magazine service for a long time. And uh, as you know, <clears throat> Heather and I did JPEG Magazine, many years ago that was printed on Lulu, another print-on-demand service. Yes. Um, and there really wasn't anything out there that was specifically designed for magazines. Um, and HP owns also owns a company called Indigo, and Indigos are the ones that print almost everything that comes out of these print-on-demand companies. Um, they're basically like color laser printers that are the size of minivans. Wow. Uh, and have incredibly high resolution. It's super cool technology. Um, so, what would, you, what would you say the level of the print is um, on the magazines themselves? It's it's better than some traditional offset printing. Okay. Um, because to just go go printing nerd for a while, um, traditional offset printing. You're not going to believe this, but the way it's done is people are still carving into copper. Wow, and, really? And, yeah, and running ink across a metal etching on copper and pressing it into paper. That's why it was called a press. I am um, really surprised that they still and, do that. Yeah, and you do it for each color that you want. Usually it's CMYK for color. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's how pretty much anything that's printed comes to you which means for every page you're doing, you're burning acid into copper, right? Wow. To to press it into, and they've gotten much better at the way they create these copper sheets, and and they've gotten thinner and more high-tech and blah, blah, blah. But at the base of it, we're still printing like it's the 1800s. Um, And so what... What Indigo, and Indigo was a a company, I think it started in Israel in, in the 80s, um, they saw the the development of, of toner printers and realized that they could do very, very high-quality color printing. 
um, and skip all of that uh, traditional printing process. Mm-hmm. And in, instead, they use basically it's an electrostatic charge on a metal drum that holds tiny, tiny, tiny toner particles. That's it's the same way your your laser printer works. Right, right. Okay. Um, only much, much bigger and much, much more defined. And and the the fidelity race is how small can you get the dots, right? Right. And the truth is you can get, with toner particles and electrostatic cling, you can get much smaller dots than ink on copper. Right. Um, so that's a very long-winded and nerdy way to say that um, you can actually get higher resolution printing out of print-on-demand than you can with traditional offset. Now, that's not to say there's there's some artisan offset printers that just are amazing and do really, really fine work. And that, of course, there's letterpress, which is a totally separate technology, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But if what if what we're talking about is normal people, everyday Joes who are like, uh, I think I'd like to print something, um, print-on-demand has come a long way. So how did uh, how did founding JPEG and and working that online, how did that help prepare you for MagCloud? Uh, it's, there's a, it's a pretty linear story. Um, in 2004, Heather and I decided to start a magazine. We both had, uh, extensive backgrounds in print. Um, I ran newspapers in college. Uh, she did, uh, book design in New York. Um, and we both had that love of traditional media, even though we were totally digital nerds and lived all our lives online. We still love prints, and I think they, I think they, they reward different pleasure centers in the brain. Um, but and and there was ex- this explosion of great work coming online. Remember, this is before she went to work at Flickr, even. Um, okay. But what we were part of the photo blogging community, such as it was. Uh, in 2004 and saw this explosion of great work. Remember the, the digital SLRs were just really starting right. to get good and cheap. Yeah. Um, and so we thought this stuff should really be in print. Um, so we started uh, a printed magazine called JPEG because that was ironic, but it was the, it was the file format, <laughs> right? Um, and just put out a call for submissions and did it really DIY. We, we, um, had people submit using a Gmail account. Uh, we, we filled the Gmail. We, we like ran out of space on Gmail twice. And wow. that was a challenge to do even then. Um, now I think the storage has gotten bigger, but we, we like, we killed Gmail. That was, that's but how you many guys, got. you guys didn't actually see every photo that came in to Flickr. At the, oh, at, at, to JPEG? I'm yeah, sorry. Took, yeah, to JPEG? We did. Yeah. We looked at every single one, of course. Oh, how many entries is that for for one issue? You know, for, well, in the beginning, it was in the hundreds. Uh, and as we grew, it was in the thousands and then the tens of thousands. I might have gotten to the hundreds of thousands, but I wow. that I don't know. But this this first issue is the one we did in Gmail um, and uh, published it through Lulu um, and, you know, sold a, a pretty decent amount. You know, I've started lots of magazines and when you sell, you know, uh, um, when you sell a few hundred for the very first issue that no one has ever heard of, you kind of go, wow, that's, that's kind of impressive. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, 
And as you know, uh, I then we published six issues that way. I then started a company with a friend called 8020 Publishing um, to start, and, and we kind of uh, sucked JPEG into that um, and had other issues planned. And that's when we, we got some venture funding. Um, we built this huge back end to manage the submissions. The magazine started printing traditionally instead of uh, print-on-demand. It was going through a, an offset printer. Um, really high quality, really lovely, um, and really made a run for it. Um, and unfortunately, my relationship with my partner didn't work out. Um, there was a guys, lot of... You guys parted ways, basically. We parted ways, yeah. There, yeah. It was unfun. But um, when, when that fell apart uh, and I found myself looking for work, um, that's when HP approached me and said, hey, we really liked what you were doing over here and you seem to have some time now. Yeah. So uh, why don't you come in and have lunch with us? And I was like, oh, okay. I've never <laughs> seen that. You know, as a, if you're looking for work, never say no to lunch. Right. So um, I went down to Palo Alto and I wound up in this conference room with like 20 people. <laughs> and they were like, well, tell us about, you know, JPEG and 8020 and making magazines and all this. And so I, I told the story as best I could. And then I kind of said, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you guys, what are you guys working on? And at that point they had been working on a pilot program in, uh, HP labs for probably a, a year or two or three. I'm not sure that was about, that was trying to marry magazines and print on demand, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what we had been doing. And I was like, where do I sign up? So that that project mutated a few times while we tried to figure out what exactly it was. But it, it became MagCloud. Um, and we're just about coming up on our two-year anniversary of launching it, which is super exciting. Congratulations. So yeah. What would you say the difference is between Lulu and MagCloud? I would say that Lulu is optimized for books, right? Everything... You know, if you read their site, it's it's all about books, and we are optimized for magazines, which begs the question: Well, then, what's the difference between a magazine and a book? Because exactly. they're both a stack of paper right. <laughs> with right. a binding that you can buy, right? Um, and I think there's some key differences in in the ident you know the, as as kind of identifiers between books and magazines. Um, books are only intended. Books have editions, but generally a book is a book, and that's it. It's it's not an ongoing relationship. It's a it's a physical product that is the end of something. Right. Um, books are also often black and white, um, whereas magazines are. I think you can assume that they're in full color. Um, books seem books really prioritize um, uh, text, I think, mm-hmm. and, and magazines prioritize images. Um, so okay. when you say when you say magazine, you kind of assume you know glossy, nice layout, beautiful things. It's less of an intense reading experience and more of a casual paging experience. Right, right. It gets into some really fuzzy language. Um, I also think that there are parts of um, key parts of what a magazine is that have to do with um, being a serial. So it's it's more akin to something like a weblog. A weblog is not a single post on a page. It's 
it's a post on a page with a promise that there'll be another post at some point in the future. Could be in five minutes or could be in five days, but there's going to be more. Right. Magazines have that promise too, that, that this is, so it's, it feels like it's closer to what we're doing with websites where this is about a community and an ongoing, you know, creation project. Right. Which is why I think it fits in really well with things like Flickr and Twitter and blogs where, where it's, it's about a, an audience and creating some stuff um, and, and keep doing it. And one of the things you guys do really well at MadCloud, I think, is the um, having somebody else order it and you guys ship it and it's all taken care of. Ah, yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. Anybody who – so I was part of the, the zine scene in the 90s when, when desktop publishing was revolutionizing that. Um, and anybody who ever sat at Kinko's at, at 3 in the morning, Xerox and something uh, – because it's going to be this huge thing and, and you just are driven to make media. Yeah. Um, basically, MagCloud is the thing we wished we had then. Yeah. So so that all you do is you make it once and give it to somebody else and they handle all of the printing and billing and money and mailing and basically all of the really unfun things. You know, nobody nobody starts a magazine because they're like, you know what I love doing? Putting things in envelopes. That is my favorite thing. I like to put things in envelopes and go to the post office. That is just, yeah. that's my that's my favorite thing. Nobody does that. It, fact, lets, it lets the people um, really put all their creative energy into the actual magazine. And you guys have made it so easy uh, with your, your templates. You know, you can um, download them and it shows you exactly what to do. So, And also you guys are socially responsible. The internet is a very elegant system. There's no waste, right? So when I send you an email, it really just kind of, it goes from computer to computer and gets to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so most nerds are stunned to realize how inefficient the publishing process generally is. So because of those copper plates I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. it only makes financial sense if you make a lot of uh, copies. Copies, right. Because the incremental costs get lower the more you make. So that's a huge incentive to make too many. And so then you've got a thousand or 10,000 or a million copies of this thing. Um, and so you have to put all of those things on a boat because you're going to go print them in China because it's too expensive to print them here. So you, right. so they, they're printed in China in, in questionable circumstances. And then they're on a boat and then they're in a truck and then they go to a distribution house and then they are put on lots of trucks right. and then they burn all this carbon and go all over the world. And then they finally sit in a bookstore at, for some period of time. And then the bookstore at whatever point they want can actually decide that they're not going to sell it and either throw it away or rip off the cover and send it back to the publisher. Right. But 70% of all magazines are trash. 70. Wow. Yeah, 70% are never bought. They don't go back to the publisher because they're too expensive to ship back. So they are literally mulched. And hopefully they're recycled. But spending all that time and energy in order to create something that is mostly garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't mean yeah. subjectively garbage. I mean, literally, it's going to go in the garbage. Seems like an awful waste of time and energy to me. Right. So... In MagCloud, 
nothing is printed until there's a buyer. So you upload your PDF. We create this front end on the web. It's then up to you to promote it and tell your friends and, and get people to buy it. And at the moment someone says, okay, here's my credit card number. I would like one copy of Frey, please. Mm-hmm. At that point, the job is sent to a printer. It's printed, packaged, and mailed. So, you know, I'm not going to claim we're a green company because we're still, you know, printing on dead trees and toner is probably not the most, uh, um, you know, green substance in the world. Uh, that's an understatement. But we're at least eliminating all of that inefficiency. And I think in that way it works a lot more like the Internet than this kind of old, weird publishing system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's there's always going to be those people that want to hold the magazine, so I don't see how you take, you know, that whole section out. I know for me, I want to hold the printed version in yeah. my hands. But um, like you say, the more green we get, you know, maybe the less print. And you guys have some bigger names now. Didn't you get Life magazine? Yeah, so, and Life is doing a really interesting thing. They're They're going back through all of their archives because they have... I'm going to say the wrong number. They have many, many years of <laughs> of archives of some of the most important moments in U.S. history. Um, just absolute, nobody has a photo archive like they have. Um, and so they're going through and creating these kind of themed issues hmm. that they're putting up for sale on MagCloud. And some of them are like remembering Michael Jackson, and it's all Michael Jackson photos, but some of them are like, the cutest little animal, baby animals we've ever <laughs> published or like weird fashion trends or just like these very niche mm-hmm. things that when you think about it, nobody else could do this because nobody has the archive that they have and it costs them nothing. So to yeah. be, to be a business guy for a second, like they are now monetizing their back catalog. Um, I, here's where you could throw in the, the word long tail and actually mean it. Um, and all that income is, is, is turning old magazine content into revenue. And, right. you know, when you talk to magazine people, they're all freaking out because everything's moving online and they don't know how to charge for online. So they're all trying to figure out how to charge online. And meanwhile, they're sitting on these piles of very valuable content as From, back issues. Right, right. And they're not selling it. And so you go, well, why don't you just make this thing and then you could sell And they're like, oh, nobody wants paper anymore. Well, we, we know that they want paper. They just want it in a different way. Right. Exactly. Well, how do you, how do you see that um, compromise in the future? Well, here's what I think. We have currently, we have more readers than there have ever been in the world. There are more literate people who okay. enjoy media right now than there have any ever been at any point in human history. Mm-hmm. And they are more connected to each other than they have ever been in all of human history. And that's an incredibly valuable thing if what you do is make media. Right. So I think that media makers have to go to those people in whatever environment they prefer, which means, yes, you have to have a website. And yes, you also have to print some things on paper. And yes, you also have to reach out into the hellhole of Facebook. If that's where your people are, then that's where you go. Um, and no longer can the publisher kind of sit on high and say, I will bequeath you my content in this rarefied form and you will say thank you. 
Right. Right. Because if you don't do it there, somebody else will. Um, I was, I was having this argument actually with, I, I got to sit down with Chris Anderson, who's the publisher of Wired briefly in a group. It wasn't like I'm that special, but, um, we were talking about the iPad and he said, well, you know, Wired came out with this iPad app and, and it's, it's pixel perfect magazine. I mean, it's, it is the kind of attention to detail that makes magazines wonderful. But the problem is it's dead. As soon as you download it and look at it once, it's dead. It will never change again. Right. There's no way to interact with it. You can't even search in it because all the words are captured in, right. in images. Right. So I said, but this is great, but it's dead. Like you have to, you have to, you have a community of people that want to interact with each other and their content. Like, where can they talk back? Where can they participate? And he, he was basically like, well, this isn't for that. This is, this is the magazine. And I said, well, maybe it's, this is the point where you need to give up some of the pixel perfect control in return for having something that feels more alive. Hmm. So I think where we go is what I'd like to see is this kind of melding of what a magazine is and what a website is because websites are messy and updating and they're like people. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of, you can't rely on them and yeah. <laughs> they're, they're kind of messy sometimes. Um, and magazines are these are intended to be kind of these sealed up done things that you can put on your shelf and, yeah. and, and look at 20 years later and they'd be exactly the same. And I think there's a, a fertile medium. I get 10 bucks every time I say that there's a fertile <laughs> medium in between the two where you can, you can have something that's open for participation, but also rewards the best contributions in a way that has longevity. And I, I think we're still figuring out what that middle spot is. Um, speaking of the fertile medium, tell yeah. me, tell me about what you and uh, your wife, Heather Champ are doing. We started, a, we started a consulty consultancy, um, Heather, as I mentioned, she was uh, the director of community for five years at Flickr and saw it grow from, you know, metaphorically a, a small town to a, you know, a giant country. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly a planet. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and uh, she learned a lot of really interesting lessons along the way about how people behave in groups and how communities grow and evolve, and especially communities of creative people, people you know making art, whether that's what they call it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this, I have a history doing the same kind of work, more from a design and strategy angle than from a, a policy angle. But you know, I, I, nine years ago, I wrote a book called Design for Community that was about all this stuff. Um, and worked on Blogger and Technorati and, you know, other user-generated prod- projects. Mm-hmm. And Frey, of course. Um, so when Heather w- decided to leave Flickr, just uh, for per- mostly personal reasons, um, she wanted to spend more time community managing her family. Um, that, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Well, you know, family. Sure. Yeah, I know. Um uh, it's hard to go from Flickr to something else because Flickr's really a, a diamond in the web. Right. Um, so uh, instead of jumping straight into another job, we decided to start our own company, um, and uh, we're we're you know getting clients now. And and the idea is that 
Um, you know, we want to help companies learn from the things we've learned the hard way about how to design these community oriented sites, how to do submission based systems that don't suck. Um, you know, how to really grow a, a viable community. Yeah. Uh, uh, while avoiding the potholes that so often hit these companies, hit these projects. Um, as a, well, as somebody who tried to start a business with her husband, <laughs> 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 and uh, it didn't go so great, we decided to do separate things. I'm just wondering how you guys are working together. It's so far so good. Um, you know, we had uh, the experience of running JPEG together um, before, and I'll tell you, uh, Two photographers reviewing other photography and having to agree yeah. on on what works, that is a strain on any relationship. Totally. Um, but we figured it out, and we, we got to a place where it was really working, and it, and it was easy. And that, I think, gave us the confidence to say, yeah, we can do this. Um, so I think you know we'll have some clients where I'm the lead, like MagCloud will become one of our clients. Uh, um, and some clients that will be that Heather will be the lead and I'll be support. Um, and, you know, uh, so far, so good. Ask me again in a year. <laughs> OK, I will. I wish you guys all, all right. the best, man. That's it sounds like a wonderful company. Thanks. It's exciting. And, it, you know, I I've, I've basically been my own company for a long time just as a freelancer. Um, and it's exciting to build something that's not just me. Right. It, it's exciting to to have something on my business cards that that says, you know, a name of a company instead of just Derek Wozik, pay yeah. me to do stuff, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you mentioned Frey earlier. Is it on hiatus? Or are you doing that? Not officially. Um, so, you know, if anybody in the audience doesn't know, Frey is a, a personal storytelling site started in 1996, which makes it positively ancient. Wow. Um, yeah. And a couple of years ago, um, actually right right around the time that I started with MagCloud, uh, I brought it back as a quarterly magazine. Um, and we've done three issues, um, uh, two of which I did in the traditional offset way, and one was through MagCloud. So that's a, a good lesson. And ask me which ones I still have boxes of. Okay, uh, which ones do you still have boxes of? The ones I did through traditional <laughs> publishing. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a sad thing. That's the best thing about print on demand is you don't have to walk by that spot in your office every day and see all the boxes and go. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the, the last issue, issue three, sex and death uh, came out. Um, gosh, almost a year ago. And so uh, uh, we are still, we are going to do issue four. Uh, we, I'm just looking for, you know, having five minutes to, to do the call for submissions and get it started. Yeah. I found, I found it. I, I publish a magazine called creative humans magazine and actually it prints through MagCloud. Yay. But, <laughs> yeah. That's why I love it so much, but um, I'm finding it's really hard to put it out just because I want to, because I'm not getting paid for it. You know, right. so I've got to find the time and, you know, spare evenings and weekends and, it's it's harder than I thought, so I respect your work. <laughs> Thank you. It is it. I mean, the hardest. The, MagCloud can take away the pain of being a publisher in all of the really tactical ways of printing and mailing, shipping, and all that stuff. But when it comes right down to it, the real work that no one can ever do for you is 
is that work of, you know, coming up with the, coming up with the theme, uh, sending email to people and, you know, asking them to participate, um, editing the content that comes in, you know, laying out the magazine. It's a lot of work. It is. And it, and that's also why it's valuable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel you, um, you know, when, when it, when I have the choice between doing, uh, you know, paid consulting work or working on, you know, fray for free, then it often takes a backseat to, you know, the stuff I've got to do to pay my mortgage. So. Exactly. But, yeah. it, you know, I found it sure feels good when you put something together and you just think, wow, that's, you know, that's exactly what I was trying to do. It feels so good and it's so rewarding. And I have to say, like, I'm working with people today in professional capacities that I know because of Frey. Um, so, like, it's it's given me so much that's intangible, that even if it didn't make much money or really any, um, I've still, it's still been a hugely valuable thing in my life and in my career. Yeah. Well, if, you know, MagCloud is MagCloud.com. Is that right? M- That's right. M-A-G-C-L-O-U-D.com. Yep. Um, if you've got any ideas, you should go start a magazine of your own. It's real easy. Um, and now we've got our bonus question, Derek. Uh, do you have anything that nobody knows about you or almost nobody knows about you that you want to put down ah. forever? <sighs> you know, I've been thinking about this since you mentioned it, and I've realized that uh, perhaps stupidly, I have never pretended to be anything I'm not on the internet. I've never had a pseudonym. I've never, I never pretended. I was always just me. Mm-hmm. And I've been telling true personal stories on the internet since uh, 1995. And so with the help of Google... I basically have no secrets. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can find the phrase story that I wrote about buying pot on hate street when I was 17. You can find, uh, Oh my God. If you're really good, you can find love songs that I wrote and played on an acoustic guitar. Hey, uh, floating around MP3 is of those floating around. Um, that gives everybody something to search for. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> but I, I will some someone might know this because I mentioned it when I did a a lair tennis with the Kudal um uh lair tennis but I think my favorite piece of of random trivia that most people didn't know uh is that um I think it's still there I'm not sure but uh for many years on the wall of uh a dorm in UC Santa Cruz on Porter College on the wall of a dorm, there was a painted mural that I was the model for. So I can say that <laughs> I posed nude for uh, a mural that was painted on my alma mater. Is it still uh, there? It was still there the last I checked, but I haven't been back in a year or two. So All right. I'm- anybody in that location, <laughs> send me a photo. I want to see. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very good. It, it was like a, t- a take on it was a parody of Odalisque with Slave, which is famous painting. Uh, I was the uh, Odalisque, and uh, um, the Slave was Carl uh, uh, Pister, who was the like chancellor of the UC system. He was waiting on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. College was awesome. 
Oh, thanks so much for speaking with me, Derek. My uh, pleasure. We've been speaking with Derek Kowalczyk. His website is kowalczyk.com, P-O-W-A-Z-E-K.com. Um, and I'll let you go. Oh, thank you for, I, it was a great honor to be your first guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find all my podcasts at leahpia.com slash podcasts. You can also find me on iTunes. See you next time. Yeah.